we work with a lot of groups who are interested in utilizing BlockFill's connections and our trading uh, mechanism and our, our, our ecosystem to help finance and scale their operations. And one thing that we are really enjoying about what's happening with Texas is that the groups that come from an energy background, they think about Bitcoin just like, just like we do. Rocks Exploration, our family-owned small business, this is Rocks Energy, a show about the oil and gas industry as we live it and breathe it each day. I'm Adam Oxen. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to the podcast. We have Neil Van Hughes joining us and Patrick Zielbauer from Blockfills. Welcome, guys. Appreciate it, Adam. Thank you. Yeah, well, as we get started... Um, why don't we start with Patrick? Why don't you go ahead and start off and kind of like, let's get a kind of introduction to both of you, your, your origin stories, um, if you will, like your origin stories of what's the story that got you into, well, where you are now with Blockfills. Patrick. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Adam. So uh, my name is Patrick Zielbauer, and I grew up uh, in, in the Chicagoland area. I went to school in, in Iowa. And when I was 21 years old, uh, passed the series three and got right into, you know, the futures, uh, business in Chicago. So if you're involved in trading or interested in trading and you live in the Chicago area, you probably at one point work or know someone who works for uh, a futures trading or brokerage company. So I spent uh, the better part of my career in the futures industry in Chicago, uh, worked for a firm until about, uh, uh 2020, late 2020, the company was sold. Um, you know, working in the futures business, I've, I've always been interested in leverage and trading and, you know, have a relatively uh, high tolerance for risk. And so I got involved in, in, in crypto, you know, casually, personally first. Uh, but when, when I was starting to look for a new home, uh, Blockfills, you know, was a, was a natural transition for me. Um, I had a connection to our CEO uh, from, from the past and, you know, it just uh, was a great place for me to continue, you know, the journey on, on you know, with, my, with my trading and brokerage background and, and be in a more vibrant and creative industry, um, which, you know, which, which crypto, you know, definitely is. So that, that's, that's basically how I, how I landed here at Blockfields. Very cool. Very cool. Neil, what about yourself? Yeah, actually not too different uh, background myself. Uh, I was actually uh, born into the uh, trading sector in 2008. Uh, and as you can imagine, there was uh, there was only so many options back then during the financial crisis. Um, I was very much so interested in kind of working in the wealth management community. Uh, absolutely no one in the world trusted wealth managers at the time. Uh, so the, the next closest uh, version of that for me was getting into trading in markets. And luckily, due to volatility, there were a lot of uh, Chicago trading firms hiring traders. And uh, so got my start uh, kind of clerking during the daytime and trading the European overnights. Uh, ended up with one of the larger trading firms globally in Chicago. Um, and then eventually, you know, one of my goals was always to kind of go off on my own and start my own trading group um, and did that in 2011 with a, a business partner and that same business partner uh, today. We we um we run kind of a boutique venture and private equity firm and uh, the that was really founded on the disillusion of our trading group uh, due to the fact that 
the NFA and the CFTC kind of started changing leverage rules for settlement. And your the leverage for us little guys that didn't have a billion bucks to our name uh, just wasn't as attractive as it used to be. So we were already looking at digital assets. And then uh, a good friend of mine uh, introduced me and my partner, Luke, to Nick and Gordon, um, who were the co-founders of Blockfills. And that was really like after Nick and Gordon said, okay, we want to do this, right? And there was there was nothing yet, right? Uh, this was totally grassroots and this was 2017. And so uh, the four of us basically together um, created Blockfills. Gordon and Nick were kind of already iterating on, you know, how we would bring up a more professional and institutional business process and procedures to trading digital assets. Um, and mine and Luke's background being electronic trading, uh, there was there's a lot of reasons why we would get into that business. And we like the idea of uh, kind of being on the other side of the uh, the equation uh, these days. And so kind of being the platform for trade, working with all of the biggest traders in the world, um, th- that was exactly what we decided we wanted to do as our first kind of private equity venture investment. So uh, that's that's how we got into to kind of crypto first and foremost on the investment side, and then um, got very uh, into um, mining crypto uh, thereafter. And so uh, today, you know, Patrick is running kind of global strategic accounts for us uh, as an excellent person to liaise between, you know, advanced corporate clients, traders, et cetera, that are the most active participants in the space and certainly within our business. And for me, I'm mostly on kind of the strategic growth and investment side. How do we kind of build a a future for the business, uh, come up with new technologies, strategies, ideas that would, uh, that would complement the same participants that we serve today. That's awesome. Thanks for kind of sharing your backgrounds and the origin and, and of, 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 of block fills and what you guys do. So, you know, we talked a little bit, you know, before hit and record, uh, guys about how this podcast is about, you know, oil and gas operations and, and increasingly, uh, Bitcoin mining operations, as we see this kind of overlap happening between the two industries. Can you guys speak a little bit from your vantage point and background, kind of like how you see that developing, um, this kind of collaboration uh, between oil and gas operators and Bitcoin miners? Yeah, I think uh, this has been a, a very developmental thing, right? Uh, it's it, it did not start where it is today. It was not some sort of like injection of like immediate, yes, this is a no-brainer. Um, Luke and I started visiting uh, sub, you know, substation-only land property uh, you know, four years ago. And people said, look, I can get really low-cost power to do Bitcoin mining here. You just need to give me like $30 million or $100 million and we'll be good to go. <laughs> and we were like, okay, uh-huh, right. Real okay, low entry well, point there. Right. right. So um, where do we go next? Right. And so you start to see some things emerge uh, in your in your due diligence and your education and your learning curve of the industry that Bitcoin miners are finding the absolute most efficient way to utilize energy to mint an asset. Right. Or, or, or a digital money. Right. And that starts to trigger you on this concept of like, boy, these guys are very smart, right? They they cannot exist if they don't find the most efficient way to build a data center, the most efficient way to, to use energy, the most you know ideal way to protect themselves from 
political exposure, geopolitical exposure. This is not simple. Bitcoin mining is a simple idea. You take a box, that's a computer, you, you plug a power cord and an ethernet cable into it and hook it up to a, a piece of software and you're starting to print money. Okay, That's really not difficult to understand. But to develop a project from Greenfield, that's incredibly difficult. Most of these guys are not energy specialists. They're, they're technologists or they're entrepreneurs or pioneers of, of digital assets, right? So kind of in swoops the energy company, right? Like how can I learn from these technologists, these bright young entrepreneurs that are finding ways to utilize energy in creative ways, whether it be biomass, natural gas, you know, renewable on the solar side, wind side, or just grid power that's unutilized or, or stranded assets of any kind that are unutilized boy, I can do something here because I got a lot of that. So energy company now starts to like investigate the space. And now there's really two ways for the energy company to play in the, in the space, right? One is do their own Bitcoin mining. The other is find unique operators that they feel comfortable with, both from a credit perspective and an operations perspective to sell power to. And that might be in a straight you know, power agreement, or it might be in some sort of form of like joint venture, right? Uh, there's all kinds of different ways. So that's really the evolution of maybe four or five years ago to today. But kind of in swoops, one last little thing that's really interesting about this is 70% of the global hash rate was in China, you know, two years ago, uh, or not even two years ago, a year and a half ago. And today, the largest market in the entire world for Bitcoin mining and hash rate is right here in the United States. And our motive for helping miners was they're the commodity guys of the 21st century. We've got to help this guy that looks like a farmer, this guy that looks like an energy company to hedge their risk, manage their balance sheet, uh, reinvest their capital, um, monitor and, and, uh, and kind of deploy strategies that that allow them to inherently protect their their profit margins in a business that has one of the highest profit margins anyone's ever seen. So that's how we want to play, but that's how the industry has evolved from four years ago, a year ago to today. Yeah. And, and one thing, Adam, uh, I'll add to that, you know, and this will surely come up in some of the discussions a little bit later, I'm sure. But, you know, we work with a lot of groups who are interested in utilizing Blockfill's connections and our trading uh, mechanism and our, our our ecosystem to help finance and scale their operations. And one thing that we are really enjoying about what's happening with Texas is that the groups that come from an energy background they think about Bitcoin just like just like we do. You know, they speak our language language when it comes to this asset that has to be produced, it has to be stored, and it has a forward curve. And it's very different from a lot of the the rest of the the Bitcoin or uh, you know, other crypto asset community where, you know, the focus is on, you know, uh, stratospheric price appreciation t tomorrow. You know, they just think of things a little bit differently and it aligns with us and it makes us comfortable with, you know, getting closer to them from a, you know, from a risk management perspective, because we know that they think the way, the, the, the way we think when it comes to managing risk. So it's a, there's a lot of alignment between us and, 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 and these groups thus far. Patrick, when you say that, are you thinking of like, like time preference? Like you're saying maybe some other uh, crypto traders are looking at like a shorter time preference as opposed to like, maybe there's a longer view here. I mean, elaborate right. I mean, on that a little bit more. What I, I guess what I, what I mean there mainly is that 
when we work with a, a group that has a combination of you know banking, private equity, and energy background, they they have a predisposition to manage their downside risk. When they present us with models or ideas, we can tell that their price, you know, the prices they use in their modeling is really pessimistic. It we know why because that's that's what we do. We look at things, you know, from a you know in a, in a, from a responsible vantage point. And so that's not that common in, in crypto. A lot of the mining clients that we work with or that we're approached by, we can tell right out of the gate that you know this group may they may be fantastic technologists, but they don't know very much about risk management. And if we're going to get involved from a financing perspective, you could see why that potentially would make us uncomfortable. So there's this really interesting synergy uh, you know, among between us and and the groups who do have that energy background because. Again, they just they just really speak our language, and you know, obviously, great capital backing, and um, and you know, just really, we share the same worldview when it comes to risk management. Gotcha. Thanks for elaborating. So, sure. kind of let's back let's let's back up a little bit because we've talked a little bit about you know some OTC uh, services you guys provide. We've talked about financing. So let's kind of back up and talk about like what all Blockfills does maybe kind of from a 10,000 point view, like all the different maybe um, services and opportunities to work with block fills. Uh, but also then, then let's kind of hone in on like the mining side of, of things. If we can, who wants to, who wants to tackle that first? Go ahead. Neil. I'll, I'll do, I'll do a quick little excerpt and, and Patrick's great at, at, you know, capturing all the things that I miss. Um, <laughs> So really what we wanted to do since inception was build, again, this professional layer of technology, markets, infrastructure, um, liquidity, and, and services that you would expect if you're a professional or an institution looking to do business in any asset class. So if you really think about how someone might trade any sophisticated market, they're typically one uh, onboarding some sort of broker or a bank or some financial firm to have a relationship to be able to get access to those assets, right? And then there's typically an exchange like a New York Stock Exchange or a Chicago Mercantile Exchange that develops the exchange gateways and market data that makes it possible for any brokerage to provide a market to an underlying client. And then at any way in between there, there's uh, usually a technology company that provides technology for you to utilize to do advanced trading on any of those exchanges. And then there's a financial services firm that says, boy, let me give you access to capital or margin or some sort of service that allows you to do sophisticated business in this asset class. So there's four groups of people there, right? They're all somehow economically incented to help you do business in that asset class. And in digital assets, Basically, none of those participants exist, right? There's no banks. There's no real brokerage investment banks. Uh, there, well, this is since inception, of course. There's no financial services firms, and there's really no like legacy financial or uh, technology firms that are in there to allow you to do business here. So, kind of here comes Blockfills saying, "Boy, we see a void for these professional and institutional clients. They need technology. They need market access. They need liquidity." Uh, on all those products that they might want to do business in. And they need services on top of that. And those might be financial services, that might be client services, those might be technology services, anything that we can do. So we built from the ground up 
a multi-asset matching engine that allows us to do crypto as well as other legacy asset classes, fixed income, derivatives, equities, you name it. And on top of that matching engine, we've got front-end trading platforms, client-facing portals, right? So the sort of thing that a, a brokerage or a futures clearing firm would have provided their clients with, uh, a back office and middle office solution, which again, an FCM or a bank or a brokerage would utilize to manage risk and manage all their clients in this industry. And all of those things are connected by API. So the full life cycle of a trade here exists and we can license all of that technology to any participants we want to allow them to build their own client-facing business in the space, or we can do business directly with our own clients, right? So these are high-frequency traders, hedge funds, banks, brokerages, exchanges, provide them with technology, liquidity, access to products and services. And so that's, that's us in a nutshell. And really what we, we decided is that, again, if we're going to look like a Goldman Sachs of the digital world or a boutique version of Goldman Sachs in the digital world, or maybe like a Glencore, who maybe you guys know better on the energy side, you know, that does our own trading with the biggest commercial traders in the world in our asset class, um, has underlying exposure to the assets in our, in our class, and then also does like boutique investing in, in our asset class, then boy, you know, we really need to like help these miners. Like they, they need to be a part of this equation because if there was no miner, there is no blockchain, there is no trading, right? And so Patrick, go in there and, and, and get everything I didn't get. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, just, just a, that's a very eloquent way to describe our, our business. Um, I would say that, you know, there, if you really want to understand very, very simply who we, you know, who we deal with and, and where the mining community fits in, you have, you generally have one bucket of clients that are, 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 are groups that have their own client facing business. So that might be like an exchange or a broker. And they see us more like a liquidity and technology service where we're kind of sitting in the background. And then on the other side, you've got groups that, trade with us for their own principal risk. So that might be like a hedge fund or an asset manager. And that group is growing a little faster than the first group, I think, because all these traditional firms are trying to figure out a way into crypto, whether they want to, or they're getting dragged in, kicking and screaming, like they have to be involved. And so that group tends to be a little bit more sophisticated. They have credit concerns and counterparty risk, and they want cross-margining of all their assets because they want ultra-efficient capital usage and, and all that. So it looks a lot more like what they would get in the legacy world, right? But the, the, the miners are, are sort of unique. I mean, they definitely fall into that second category for, for us because they're, uh, you know, they need advanced levels of services in terms of you know, hardware financing and some of the stuff we'll talk about. But the, the mining community is, is really important to, to, to block fills because not only do we, you know, we help them scale their business through our, our financing operation, but once we do a hardware deal with the miner, you know, they're trading with us. They're trading their, their spot liquidations through Blockfill, so they don't have to go, you know, to a retail exchange and pay 50 basis point taker fees to, you know, to get liquid. So they're trading with us. You know, we're looking at their operational risks and we're saying, all right, um, you know, where do you get uncomfortable? You know, if Bitcoin's under 34,000 or 28,000 or, you know, where do you start to have an operational risk? Okay, let's build an options trading strategy around your company. So we, we have a derivatives desk where we help manage the balance sheets of you know miners that have a lot of crypto. And then once they build a bit of a treasury and they say, look, I need dollars to go buy more ASICs. I don't want to sell my Bitcoin. You know, can I borrow dollars against the Bitcoin I post with you? Sure. So now we have a crypto back lending, you know, line of business with them. So there's just this, they, they, they tend to touch the various aspects of the way that we work 
um, not just on their day-to-day mining business or the, or the hardware financing and their actual mining, but also you know, in, in the services that we perform from a financial perspective or a trading perspective that are designed to help them smooth out uh, you know, their, their, their future in terms of predictability. Um, so, you know, it's, it, that's why, that's why that, that particular clientele is so, you know, so important to us. One reason. Very cool. Yeah. Thanks for filling that in there. So let's talk about that a little bit more. Um, Patrick, you mentioned, um, you know, the treasury management side of it, and then that kind of bleeding over to, Hey, we want to, we want to deploy more miners. We don't want to sell Bitcoin hardware finance. Let's talk about that. Let's talk. I mean, um, Let's go into more detail about that. I mean, how that could look like as far as like the treasury management services and then those hardware financings. Yeah. So, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll touch a little on the treasury management piece. Um, you know, Neil's really the go-to man on, on the hardware financing side. So, uh, you know, on, on the treasury management side, you know, what we're finding is that the, the different miners we deal with all have, some of them have very different viewpoints about Bitcoin in terms of what to do with it once it's mined. So usually when, when a miner is getting off the ground, they, they, they need to sell their Bitcoin because they really need the cash for OPEX. So we're, we, we provide a very simple you know, trading arrangement for a group like that. It's a very you know, low-touch sort of service where they don't have to get involved. They just, you know, we have a wallet and the deposit comes in. We have some standing instructions. We trade. We send them a wire and you know, we move on. Um, but you know, we, increasingly, as those companies start to scale... Now they're starting to think about, you know, things like taxes and they've got views about Bitcoin in general for the long run. And, you know, maybe they don't want to sell their original Bitcoin because they see value in having original Bitcoin that's never left its originating wallet. Just like we, you know, just like we think there might be a, a, a market for that sometime down the road. But, you know, when it comes to treasury management, a lot of it has to do with uh, us understanding very clearly the, the, the risk tolerance associated with um, a particular organization. So we will, like I mentioned, build a derivatives trading strategy that is designed to allow a firm like that to, you know, potentially protect themselves if the market falls without trading away too much upside. So you know, we we don't we don't want to trade away all our upside. Otherwise, what's the what's the point, right? We don't want to be fully fully hundred percent hedged. But you know, the general idea is that there are asymmetric risk opportunities out there. And we, we are always canvassing the market for, for those opportunities. So we're doing a lot of business in the options world. And then on the lending side, you know, the collateralized lending, the crypto collateralized lending, you know, sometimes, um, you know, th- this group might, might have a, a bunch of Bitcoin on their balance sheet. And they're saying, look, we just, we don't want to leverage it. We don't want to leverage it just yet to earn, to bring dollars back into our balance sheet, but we do want to earn something on it. So, you know, we will borrow it from them. You know, they say, look, we're going to lend you our Bitcoin for, you know, for a six month period, and we'd like to earn a yield paid in kind. So we could easily set up a, a lending and borrowing relationship uh, where we're, where they're lending their Bitcoin to block fills. And then separately or similarly, if they do need dollars, we've got a whole bunch of, you know, sort of bespoke terms for crypto back lending. So a group comes to us and says, look, I need dollars, but it can't be an open term loan because I'm going to go buy ASICs and I don't, I, I'm not going to be liquid enough to, to pay it back if it gets called in, right? So it's got to be a fixed term. I got to know exactly what the terms are. I need to know what the margin, you know, returns look like, collateral returns, if it gets margin called, like what exactly is going to happen if, you know, these things occur. So we spell all that out. We're involved on a day-to-day basis and, um, you know, we've got, we've got solutions that are very friendly to, you know, to the mining community with the knowledge that when they're taking dollars, you know, back into their balance sheet, uh, they're usually using them. You know, they're not just sitting. They're not just sitting on those dollars. You know, normally those dollars are being deployed. 
Um, so, you know, anything we do is going to, is going to be with that in mind. So these are just all things that we have, we have conversations one-on-one with, with, with these groups. Um, again, it has a lot to do with the risk tolerance of, of, of the, of the entity and, and its leadership. But, um, you know, on the hardware financing side, I mean, that's obviously a, a really hot topic. We get a ton of inquiries on it. Neil will tell you. Um, but I, I think I'll, you know, maybe let him touch on, on that piece of it. Before we go there, I mean, we've seen like in the last couple of days, right, all this playing out with with uh, Terra Luna, UST and all that and a lot of conversations around, um, you know, what's going on with liquidity on the exchanges. So how, what does Blockfields do with their clients as far as custody and, again, liquidity? Like what's right. some of the, the thoughts there so, and some of the procedures to make sure, you know, everything's above board? Absolutely. So the, the first thing I'll mention is that from a technology perspective, Blockfills aggregates from several venues. And I'm, I'm talking 25, 30, 40 venues at any given moment. So we are bringing in pricing from all kinds of different places, not just the top of the, 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 ex, the retail exchanges. We're not just scraping the top of you know, Gemini and Kraken for liquidity, right? We, we, have, we have tier one makers in our ecosystem from whom we stream pricing. And we agency out almost 100% of our spot flow, which is why on days like what we saw, you know, over, over this week, you know, Blockfills is, doesn't have just the same outright principal risk exposure to the underlying asset that, you know, some of our, you know, sort of colleagues in the space have where they're just long everything and they warehouse 100% of the risk of their clients' trades. That is not how Blockfills operates. So days like this or weeks like this, I mean, we all want this thing to work, right? We, we, we want recovery. We want the market to go up. But we don't feel the same pain as a group who is simply long, you know, long Bitcoin only and, and you know, not, not actually agencying out, you know, their flow. So we, we do that very well. We do it algorithmically. Um, and on the lending side, you know, Blockfills only has about 700 clients globally. That includes, you know, all of our clients. We're not a retail-focused firm. We don't have any retail business. Um, and so we do an extensive KYC and DD uh, on, on our counterparties. And, you know, days like, again, what we saw this week, sure, are there collateral call, calls occurring and assets are moving around? But, you know, watching our team manage these processes on, on, on days like this, it's kind of like watching a ballet. <laughs> like, I don't mean to be too cheesy about it, but it's the, the way that this system is built. It is, it, it is a thing of beauty to watch, uh, watch a team operate the way our team operates in, in a chaotic trading environment like what we saw. So, you know, we, we are, we, anytime these sorts of things happen, we're, we're going to come out, we believe, um, you know, much stronger, you know, out of the other end of this, where we, where we know, you know, some, some groups in this space are probably feeling some serious, you know, some serious pain right now. If, if I could add just one quick thing, hopefully quick thing to, to that is I think stuff like what's happened in the last two or three days it's going to make the ecosystem a lot smarter and a lot more aware. I think people need to start to recognize that a crypto exchange is absolutely nothing like Blockfills, right? We are a venue for trade, absolutely. But a crypto exchange is a an unregulated offshore, for the most part, venue that operates like a bank with retail people without any of the checks and balances of a bank. You are a retail person, you buy Bitcoin, you hold it in that account, unless you withdraw it, as you, as everyone always says, not your keys, not your crypto, the bank 
i.e. the crypto exchange does whatever they want with it, okay? They don't have any agreements in place with anyone that's making markets on their exchange. Therefore, if you're making markets to the exchange, you've got to pre-fund your account. Or let's think about how business has been done for 100 years. You're a really advanced trading company, okay? The really advanced trading company, you're a household name. And you go ahead and you trade on Coinbase and Coinbase says, you know what? You don't need to fund 100% of your account. You just need to put in 10 Bitcoin and you can trade like you have 200 Bitcoin, okay? Then that group says, you know what? I just got blown out. I just traded all kinds of different stuff. I got blown out on leverage positions on a bunch of exchanges. I don't have it. Now what happens? The exchange says, okay, hold on. Nobody can withdraw their crypto, okay? Nobody can withdraw their crypto until we figure out where the shortfall is, who's getting paid, who's getting compensated, and if we have enough to go around. And if there's not enough to go around, that institution who went bankrupt in that trade process has now bankrupted actual retail depositors on the exchange, okay? So there's a vicious cycle of counterparty risk uh, inappropriate exchange methodology and a lack of regulated processes that would protect investors that keep their assets in this location. So in a block bill scenario, we have credit lines in place with every single one of the venues or liquidity providers who directly make markets into our ecosystem. In the event that we we've reached that credit threshold, that's the most exposure that we have. Now, if that market maker wants to get more flow from our ecosystem, they've got to settle their transaction, which makes us and our customers whole. And then we turn their feedback on so they can get more flow, which is the whole point of their business. If they don't do that, first of all, we have a problem. Second of all, they don't get to do more business and they get blacklisted. And then we tell the whole world that they don't pay their bills, right? But it's limited in fashion. In an exchange, they literally got Yes, they say they've got credit limits in place, but those credit limits are are very uncollateralized with people who are doing business across various exchanges, and they don't directly know the counterparty risk at any given time or the liquidity risk that they have inside their ecosystem. And so for me, there's a lot to this that is that's going to come from this Luna thing. It's an algorithmic stable coin that acted like almost like a bank and a money market fund. And when it started getting a run on the bank, everybody lost, right? And, you know, I think people are going to start to think about here what processes and procedures need to be in place for people to not get hurt. Is it certain products are, are not going to be allowed, like algorithmic stable coins are not going to be allowed in the United States? Or is it stable coins are only going to be able to be built by regulated financial intermediaries, right? Like, what we don't know, but the point here is is that exchanges will never be able to properly serve the professional and institutional community the way someone that is entirely focused on professionals and institutions will. Because this business for the last 12 years has been entirely dominated by the retail community, which is the exact opposite of capital markets. Hey, it's Adam here. I wanted to tell you more about Rocks Exploration. At Rocks, we drill, complete, and operate oil and gas wells right here in Oklahoma. What does that mean? That means we make money through the drill bit by drilling for and producing oil and gas. But we also make money for our working interest partners. 
What's a working interest partner? That's an individual or small business that invests in an oil and gas well. It's not unlike a real estate investment. You see, drilling a well is extremely costly from geology to land to legal to drilling and completion and production. It takes a lot of time, resources, and people. Rocks takes care of all of that, and our working interest partners align with us to take advantage of our expertise and experience. Each drilling project brings together tax write-offs and potentially high ROIs. So if you're interested in learning more about Rocks exploration and our drilling projects, head to rocks.energy. That's www.rox.energy to find out more. Yeah, Neil, definitely share a little bit with us about the hardware financings and what that looks like. Yeah. So, you know, as um, the end of uh, 2019 uh, came about, a lot of our mining clients or even prospective clients that we were hoping to win business from, they were coming to us finding ways to be more efficient, right? You know, not get hurt in over-the-counter transactions, have transparency, better spreads, all these different things. Then they were saying, you know, can we do crypto-backed loans with you? Yes, of course we can do that, right? Get you access to capital. And then they started saying, well, guys, you know, this market is is getting kind of tight, you know, and we got a halving event showing up in May 2020. We need to invest in hardware, invest in our business for growth, you know, to remain competitive. And, and for that, we need access to capital. But we really run out of assets on the crypto side that we can collateralize to get access to more capital. You know, could you the next biggest asset on our balance sheet is, is our hardware. Is there any way you guys can think about, you know, utilizing hardware? as a form of collateral to get us access to more machines, which make more Bitcoin, which is what you guys are really collateralizing at the end of the day is, is this, this machine that makes a Bitcoin, right? So we wrapped our head around that. This is really just equipment finance 101. This is not a young market. This is a very old market. It's a computer, even though it's a specialized computer, right? And so, yes, were people very concerned about the fact that it only had one use? Yes. But when Bitcoin started to race higher, uh, we had already done the homework with private equity groups, credit funds, banks, high net worth, family offices that wanted to take risk to earn high yield. And they said, so what you're trying to tell me is there's going to be a a shortage in the semiconductor market. There's not going to be enough chips to go around, which makes this equipment more valuable in the long run while they're making new hardware that's never been seen before, that hardware is going to compute at six to 10 times more efficient rates than the previous generation and make it possible for you know 60 to 85% profit margins in crypto mining. And it was like, yeah, when you dumb it down to that, they're underwriting you know, cash flow that happens on an hour to hour basis. So if there's a problem, we can see that problem very quickly. And if we want to hedge risk for that cash flow, there's a market to do so. And so people started saying, boy, I can get my head around this. So when COVID happened, and don't do this because it's embarrassing for me, but you can Google me and you can see there's a lot of stuff that I put out there when COVID happened. I realized, you know, I wasn't going to be able to travel and do business and the world was kind of shutting down. And boy, if there was ever a time to invest in an industry that didn't require people to show up to an office every day, but just a computer to be turned on, you know, Bitcoin was going to have its day in court as a risk asset, but, you know, people were still going to print Bitcoin, right? And so you'll see that I went out to the public and I said, we're going to, we're going to use 
crypto mining hardware as collateral to give access to capital to miners globally. And we're going to start off in North America. And the response was overwhelming. Uh, we we invested, uh, investigated and, and did due diligence on over 100 companies in less than five months from March 2020 to August. And everyone you could imagine came out of the woodwork. Guys that had been in the space for four years that you'd never heard of. Guys that had been in the space for two years that were the most publicly recognized company. Guys that were, oh, I have power, but I have no other money. Can you fund me in a greenfield? Or, or guys who literally said, I have miners, but I have nowhere to put them. Can we figure it out? So every, every guy you can imagine came out of the woodwork. And we had to go through and find out what was different about each one of them. What, what was different about every single miner? And then beyond what was different, like, is this person or group of people a competent operator, right? Because that's what you're underwriting. You're underwriting the simple idea that they can plug in a computer uh, to an Ethernet cable, manage power, you know, and not blow themselves up because that's a problem. And then if they do that stuff right, like are they complete, completely financially illiterate where every dollar that comes in that they're supposed to give me to pay me back so they can be profitable, do they go and over leverage their business and, and blow up a different way, right? And so we, we had to think about all those things. And first things that we did were think about like, how do we securitize the financial capital that we give uh, these clients? Well, we can kind of do that by putting them on a mining pool so that we have like instant transparency into whether those things are operating or not. And if they're they're not, we can find out what's making them inefficient. We can learn about the miners. So that's really what it came down to be. We tried to make a very simple product, which was traditionally a sale leaseback strategy, uh, a typically a 24-month amortized lease. We'd either buy the equipment for them, or if they've already bought it, we'd refund them for it. And we would quote unquote, own the hardware until they pay us off in full plus interest. And it was a dollar buyout lease at the end where they pay us a dollar and we relinquish the UCC filings and the, the security interest in the hardware. And now they own it and it's their asset. Now, during that time, they'd also be able to uh, utilize the depreciation and tax benefits and that asset on their balance sheet as if it were their own until they paid us off. So these were the most ideal conditions for miners. Um, today, we're doing more sophisticated things like senior secured notes uh, with asset management techniques blended into them where the, the client is actually mining their Bitcoin into our custody accounts to collateralize loans. Um, there's just a lot of different complex things that we're thinking about uh, to give more capital to the right people that have now grown significantly from two years ago when we started deploying our first batches of capital. Nailed. Yeah, that's that's awesome. You mentioned in there too um, uh, uh, the, the mining pool side of things, and I think kind of touches on probably a little bit with mentioning the the senior secured notes. But like Blockfills offers a mining pool solution as well for miners too. So can you guys speak to that? Um, I know Patrick, we've talked about it in the past, but speak to the origin of the mining pool and when that came in and, and how that works in the whole ecosystem. Yeah, of course. Naturally, we wanted to securitize our financial products, right? And this is a way we could we could do that. There's there's really two mechanisms that we can run. One is just like complete and utter transparency. Okay, great. We feel comfortable. You're such a big miner. We can't kind of force your hand to do certain things because you're so big. But 
we get some transparency. The second layer of that is we get transparency, but we can actually mine that crypto. Or they could mine that crypto into that account, and then we could actually sweep crypto out of that account to pay that bill before we let them withdraw any other crypto. So we can actually properly securitize our financial products if we want to, depending on the counterparty rules. Um, the second idea behind the mining pool was was really twofold. One was all about uh, financial transparency in the pool and compliance. Okay, as we saw the institutionalization of mining occurring, right, the race to who could be the biggest, who could have the most hash rate, who could bring more hash rate onshore to the United States. There's a need for capital, and that need for capital typically comes with a need for compliance and reporting. Because if you're going to get access to capital, investors want to see that you're compliant. Investors want to see uh, audit trails and uh, proper financial accounting. And to do that, you need a pool that provides all the layers of compliance uh, and reporting that would be uh, required for a big four accounting firm to sign off on what you do as a company and basically give you their blessing to go potentially raise money from the capital markets. So when you look at Blockville's pool, it's unique because from a technology perspective, we do things differently. It's unique because in that compliance regime inside of us, we AML KYC check everyone that comes on our pool. This is not a Chinese pool that doesn't require those things. Everyone that comes into our ecosystem that has quote unquote money, even if it's digital money floating around in our ecosystem has done AML KYC checks. But furthermore, our um, our pool is not run like the majority of pools uh, financially that are out there in the space. Our pool is a double geometric uh, policy. It's a paper full model. And that means that instead of a paper share model, which projects earnings such that the pool provider pays you a projection of your earnings daily, even if that's not what your earnings are. Your earnings might be more than that. And my, you know, it's definitely not less than that because the, the, the mining pool is never going to take that risk, but they're just paying you a projection, right? And you're willing to, to receive that projection because you get mining rewards every day. But a paper full model only pays rewards when you win blocks. So the exact amount of rewards plus fees that have been collected from the Coinbase transaction are what we pay out to our clients. So they're getting 100% of what they're supposed to get. There's no projection. And some people might say, well, can you still pay me every day? Because I'm a a Bitcoin miner, I'll only be paid every single day. The answer is, well, traditionally in a double geometric paperful model, you would not get paid every day unless you win blocks every day. So you need a minimum amount of hash rate on the pool to maintain a threshold of the network hash rate so that you can win blocks every day. And it's not a perfect science, but primarily if you have like a little over one exa hash, you can win blocks every day. Furthermore, Blockpills is a company that has a lot of you know Bitcoin on their balance sheet. So furthermore, if we didn't win blocks every day, we have enough Bitcoin to like pay our customers every day anyways and wait for those block rewards to occur. So if you take the fact that those things all add up to a much more compliant pool that doesn't really have bankruptcy risk, it has counterparty risk, which is block fills, which people take that risk every day by trading with us, and we've got an excellent reputation for that, you can get everything that you deserve as a miner in a compliant and a transparent way. 
But if you go over to a pay per share model, you really never know, are you getting what you're supposed to be getting? You just are getting rewards every day and you don't care. If we can solve for the fact that we can get you rewards every day and we can do it in a more com- com- uh, compliant and transparent way with no pool bankruptcy risk, then I'd argue, why are you doing business with any other offshore pool? Yeah, Patrick, speak a little bit to to kind of the size of, of mining clients that you guys are working with um, uh, to help them, you know, custody that Bitcoin, treasury management, all of that. What are some of the uh, maybe... Um, pluses and minuses and also like um, requirements for a group to work with Blockfill's um, mining pool? Yeah. So, you know, we um, we basically have, you know, no set requirement on, you know, on the spot trading side. So, you know, for someone to onboard with Blockfill's, you know, that's a really simple process. It's a KYC process, but it's something that we, you know, we handle start to finish there. There's there's this sort of phenomenon in our space where groups will, you know, fill out an application and it disappears into a black hole for three weeks while they wait for a response. Um, you know, that's not a, that's not a problem that we have at, at Blockfills. Um, so we are very responsive on that side of things. But when it comes to you know minimums and requirements and things like that, the the, the one I suppose you would want to consider is if you want to get into the derivative space, um, you do have to qualify as what's called an ECP. Um, an ECP qualification or, el- el- excuse me, eligible contract participant means you basically need a $10 million balance sheet in order to trade derivatives. So that's something that, you know, most of our, uh, you know, most of our mining clients are going to meet that, but that's something at least to be aware of. Um, and then, you know, we, we have done hardware financing deals, um, you know, all, all over the board. I mean, I, I would say that our typical, our typical group is going to be a, a miner that's already hashing that is simply looking to scale their operation. Um, do we, you know, entertain a lot of uh, deals where, you know, they're, they're, it's basically we get handed a PDF and a dream, <laughs> you know, like we do get a lot of those and, and we, we want to support as many groups as we can, but we have, you know, we have limitations both from a capital and just underwriting, you know, it's a resource intensive thing. Neil's got to fly all over the country all the time visiting these places. He can't be everywhere at once. So, um, and, and, you know, Neil does manage our, our underwriting process. So, you know, it's a little bit easier for Blockfills to do a $50 million hardware deal than to do, you know, 10, $5 million deals, right? So we, we do have to be um, cognizant of the strategic, you know, opportunities that these potential deals mean to us. And the idea that a group is going to deal with us on other levels, the trading and the other types of lending and all that, we tend to prioritize, you know, groups who are going to engage, you know, more, more of our verticals and, and be on the pool as well. So, um, you know, I would say that there, there, there isn't necessarily a hard and fast minimum to, to engage us. Uh, we, we'd like to have conversations with as many as many miners as we can. Um, the degree to which they can interact with us might vary a little bit depending on you know their size of their operation and where they're at. But um, you know, we're, we're 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 an accessible team. Cool, very cool, guys. This has been a great conversation. Just learning more about like your your individual origins, how you came into crypto, and. Actually, but actually, before we kind of move into our quick fire round, let me let me ask that. Like, when was the first? When did you get orange pilled? When when did you? When did the aha moment happen for each one of you? On like, okay, I I get this. I I understand Bitcoin. I'm I'm in. When was that for you, Neil? I was in my apartment in Chicago, talking to a developer that had been working with myself and my business partner and our trading team for. Uh, about five years. So this was 
Uh, he was working with us in 2011 and he was already banging his fist on the table telling us to trade Bitcoin. And we thought he was crazy. We're like, boy, we're so busy. We've got all this going on. How can we trade this a liquid asset and like make any sense of it? And so that was a, that was a no. Uh, but by 2016, when we were kind of trying to figure out what we wanted to do next and digital assets were an obvious, like volatile asset class that had a lot of edge in it for us as traders. Um, I was on the phone with him and he was like, Hey, listen, I'm about to buy a bunch of Bitcoin. Do you, do you want me to buy some for you too? And it was like a thousand dollars or something like that. And I was like, man, if it's not in my, if I can't trade it in my trading account and like get leverage, cause I trade derivatives, like why do I want to like send you like a thousand bucks? I'm like, I don't want to just like, if I want a Bitcoin, I want to buy more than one of them. And I'm like, and I don't want to give you like $10,000 to buy my Bitcoin. And like, so no, I don't, I don't think I'm that interested. Right. And, and then the concept of like, you can buy fractional Bitcoin had never crossed my mind at, at that time. I was just completely unaware when we got into the idea that like, you can basically buy any number or any fraction, relatively speaking of, of Bitcoin and as a trader that clicked for me that's when we were like boy this thing could actually be like a real thing and um so that that's kind of when i was like okay i need to take a deeper look into this and then i started doing a lot more homework and that was before we ever started block fills so real stupid thing for me like i was a, you know i can't believe i was that dumb uh but the point is is that I think once people like, there's always that clicking moment for somebody in some way, shape or form, that was it for me. And then it made me actually take it like seriously and read up and do my homework. Awesome. Yeah. Patrick, what about you? Yeah. So um, for me, I, you know, growing up in, in, in the futures industry and just being glued to my screen for 15 years, <laughs> basically, um, you know, I constantly try to find ways to take my eyes off my own investments uh, because I just really, it was very difficult for me to be sitting there watching the E-mini S&P futures you know, or crude oil futures or, you know, trading on uh, the DAX on Eurex in the middle of the night or whatever, and not be intimately involved with like short-term investment decisions, which is generally bad, you know, like from an investing standpoint, you don't want to be messing around too much. Right. So I automated a lot of my investing habits when, a lot of those services started to pop up that were kind of geared towards younger, you know, investing crowds. And one of the first things I did is in late 2016, I set up an auto debit um, out of my checking account to uh, a Coinbase account. And it took a couple hundred bucks out of my account, like every two weeks. And this is how I did a lot of investing where I would just kind of, it would just zip out of my checking account. I didn't really pay much attention. And um, it was the only, uh, it was the only investment that I didn't shut off when my prior company was sold before I found work at Botfills. I, it was the only thing I didn't actually disable. Um, so I just, I've been really interested in, in it for, for quite some time. Uh, but when, when the market started to run and I realized that I had built this, you know, not a gigantic position, but you know, meaningful enough to me, I was like, wow, this is, you know, this is, a, this is a powerful thing. And then I got into, you know, then I got into the reading and, you know, I sort of went down the rabbit hole with, you know, the concepts and, you know, of sovereignty and all, you know, all the, you know, all the things that I'm sure you're, you know, well into as well. But yeah, that, 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 that's, that's what really dragged me into it was, was some of this automated, you know, these automated investments that I, I just didn't pay attention, but it was, it was a way for me to get involved. 
Cool. No, it's very interesting hearing the different ways, you know, everyone comes, approaches Bitcoin and, and kind of has that, that aha moment. So thanks for sharing. But guys, let's, I mean, this has been a great conversation and, and we've gone longer than, uh, than, than I intended us to, but it's been great. And I think there's been a lot of, of things to learn here for everyone. But uh, let's do our quick fire round. Um, favorite book and why? Favorite book. Um, okay, so can I, I'm going to throw two out there. I'll throw three yeah. out there. Okay, I, just real quick. So you can't I really just like, choose one, huh? <laughs> no, I can't. I mean, I will, these are three dramatically different topics. Okay, so okay. I love like futuristic, sci-fi, dystopian, post-apocalyptic fiction. So uh, the Murderbot series is awesome. I don't know if anybody's ever read you know uh, this this series called Murderbots. Awesome. Uh, Martha Wells is the author. It's a fantastic story. Um, and then. Uh, from a business perspective, there's a book that drives me from a, you know, from a sales and you know, an ex executive position, which is called Fanatical Prospecting by Jeb Blount, which if you're in the business of prospecting or talking to people or any aspect of sales, Fanatical Prospecting is probably, you know, the, the, just the, the best sales related book that, that exists out there. Uh, it's fantastic. And Jeb Blount is a fantastic author. And then... Um, from a if, just from a Bitcoin thing, their perspective, there's a book by Nick Badia that I uh, picked up at the Bitblock Boom Show in Dallas last year called uh, Layered Money, and that was really the best explanation of, to me, of, of money in general, and then how Bitcoin you know fits into the the money pyramid, so to speak. Um, so I highly recommend that as well. But if you if you get that, don't just read the the Kindle book. You gotta get the PDFs. Like you have to look at the the, the pictures because. It really helps tie it together. So yeah, those are those are those are mine. I can't can't just pick one. Uh, Peaks and valleys. Uh, if you're a guy, uh, that's the name of the book. Uh, if you're a guy that kind of wears passion on his sleeve a little bit like me and is very entrepreneurial, um, it you, you don't get through cycles without having just crazy ups and downs, right? And peaks and valleys to me was given to me, uh, there's kind of an old rule with the book that you give it to someone you think who needs it at a time in their life when they need it most. And I was given to me by um, the daughter of a multi-billion dollar family that started with nothing, never finished high school and built uh, a legacy family business that owns, you know, many you know public and private companies today at a time when I had just wound down my trading company. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And, um, you know, it was huge for me and it made me laugh and it made me like chill out a little bit and, and, you know, remember how to take risk. Uh, um, and, and, and that was, uh, really cool for me, uh, as I entered this space. That's a really great, uh, book suggestion to go into our next question of best piece of advice you've ever received. Well, that, on the back of that, the best piece of advice uh, that I've personally ever been given was, was by my business partner, Luke, uh, he said, uh, invest in yourself, you know, at a time when, uh, everybody's pulling you in a million directions and everybody wants your time and your attention, especially in this space as you're building stuff from the ground up, uh, invest in yourself. And, uh, that's worked out. That's great. That's a good, that's Patrick. A good piece of advice. Yeah. Um, for me, I would say that this is probably quite relevant right now, given the, you know, the state of the markets, but, um, and this is something that I heard my, um, my son's preschool teacher tell him this past week, and that is to smell the flowers and blow the petals. 
deep breaths, take deep breaths, you know, de decompress, smell the flowers, blow the petals. And this is something my, my teacher, my, my son's preschool teacher says in his ear when he's like tantruming, he's four. I've got to and use that I just on thought, myself I, I heard, and my children. I heard him say that and I watched, I watched his reaction. I'm like, this kid is, he hears this, he resonates, this resonates with him. And I think, I think this is a good example of a, of a time when everyone just needs to, you know, take a deep breath and, you know, try not to make too many, you know, rash decisions. That's good. That's great. Last one, favorite food or drink? Tequila, man. Uh, I'm a tequila guy. I'm, uh, I'm an owner in a tequila company. Um, I love it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I, I like Neil's tequila also, but, uh, I live in Austin, so I'm a big gas station taco guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, when I moved out of Austin, I was really pleased at the amount of gas station tacos that I could get around here. And, uh, they're, they're probably, it's probably my, my, my favorite, one of my favorite parts about moving to, to this area. So I'll take a good gas station taco any day. I think we've worked hard on this, on this discussion. We should, we need some tacos and some tequila right now. That's, that's what's <laughs> <Yeah>. next. <laughs> well, guys, go. this is, this has been great. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Where, where do, where, where do people go to learn more about, uh, yourselves and Blockfills? Yeah. Uh, go to blockfills.com. Um, you know, click contact us, take a look at the site. All the things we talked about, you know, today are, are listed there. Um, you know, we're all on, we're on social media and we're all, we use telegram. So we're, we're, we're very easy to communicate with. So if anybody wants to reach out, best way to hit us is through, uh, through the website and, you know, myself or Neil or someone on our team, you know, we'll, 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 we'll get back quickly. We're known for it. Yeah. And if you're down in Texas, uh, in Austin for consensus, uh, in June, uh, reach out. There's a lot Blockfills is doing with uh, with clients and friends in the space. Um, and so if you're if you're down there, uh, you know, try to get in touch with us, and and we'll meet. And oh, and one other thing, um, we are you know we're involved pretty heavily in the uh, you know the Texas Blockchain Council events. Um, you know, I, I was up in Dallas yesterday for one. Uh, we we sponsored the ones in Austin. We haven't done we haven't gone to Houston yet, but we will soon. For those, that's where Adam we met uh, at Empower. You know. But um, but we will uh, we'll, we'll, pro we'll probably get be getting more involved there as well. So we're 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 big advocates for you know Lee Bratcher and his mission with TBC and you know always have the TBC shirts on everywhere I go down here. We're 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 we're, the, we're at those meetups all, all the time. So it's a great place to connect with us as well. Awesome, sounds great. Thanks, guys. Hey, if you enjoyed the show, please do us a big favor and leave a review in whatever podcast app you listen to or share with someone you think might enjoy this content. Thanks a lot for listening to Rock Synergy.